Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Fight fans and basketball fans and sports fans in general, we welcome you into a special edition of Inside Boxing Live. This week we're going to call it Inside Basketball Live because we have a fun one planned for you today. Obviously no boxing on the schedule. We are getting closer uh, to these closed arena fights, but that's a story for another day. But today we have a special one planned for you. We're going to talk a little last dance with two of very talented producers, uh, Jake Rogal and Matt Maxson. We welcome them in right now. Fellas, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me here on a special edition of Inside Boxing Live, and thank you for taking some time out from what has been a hectic uh, few days for you guys. We'll start with you, uh, Max, and how's everything going? And, and uh, just take us up to speed on what life has been like the last couple of days. Well, life has uh, been pretty nice the last couple of days. We've gotten episodes 9 and 10 behind us, so now we've been kind of moving on to the finishing phase. Obviously, after a few weeks of you know racing to get this done, uh, dealing with the pandemic, uh, getting everything on air. Uh, it's been nice to kind of take a, a little bit of a step back and uh, see how everybody's reaction has been to it. And it's been really crazy to be a part of. Now, just to bring everyone up to speed on uh, the background of all three of us here, now, Matt and Jake were former HBO boxing producers, former HBO sports producers, worked on everything from 24-7 to fight night productions and and we're right there ringside along with the crew and, and that's how we got to know each other obviously me uh, being at copybox so we go back many many years and um you guys ha had since left hbo and went on to do some really great things obviously andre giant uh, a documentary now this uh the last dance something that has been viewed like never before smashing ratings uh bringing everyone together during this this crazy time and uh, i'll ask you jake in, in terms of the production standpoint, that the production nerd in me is just like loving how fast and how quickly and how all this has come together. Can you take us through how exactly this went from something that was going to be airing in June during the NBA Finals to moved up to now on a week-to-week -week basis? Yeah, so we actually, um, we had to be done in April for promotional reasons and premiere reasons. So we were actually done with the first pretty much eight and a half episodes when we decided to air early. And the thinking was, okay, can you guys finish uh, an episode and a half from your apartment? So to Maxon's credit, he set us all up with drives and Avids and editing software and everything. So what we do is we, you know, it's a collaborative process. So doing it remotely is really difficult. So what we do is we Zoom every day. We talk every day, kind of what we need to do and who needs to do what. Everyone goes off, does their thing. We come back and we talk through what everyone just did to try to get on the same page. But we were, we kind of saw this coming once the pandemic happened and, and people started to, the city started to shut down. We're in New York. Um, we kind of started to see that, okay, we're gonna have to finish this early. Um, how can we do that? And realistically it was, can you finish an episode and a half, not all 10 hours? We had finished a lot of it already. So um, it was crazy, but to Max's credit, he got, got us up and running and we kind of just, just went from there. But it was, we saw it coming, but it was, it was very, very crazy when we initially found out. Okay. I think we all- Take full credit for that, Matt? No, I'll take partial credit, but I think we all thought when this had started to kind of uh, break down, like, okay, maybe we'll finish an episode or so. Maybe we'll cut, still be back in the office by, you know, finalizing episode 10. I don't think any of us knew early March that it was going to be 
complete shutdown, complete finishing uh, done remotely. And we kind of did come up with a bunch of different workflows. Um, you know, beforehand, remote editing kind of seemed like a far-fetched idea. And throughout like the next couple of weeks, we kind of like cracked it and made it work. Uh, but, you know, we had great editors who were able to work uh, on their own. Uh, Jake was able to feed them the pieces they needed. And Jason was able to keep the whole story together uh, for those last episode and a half. Jason here for another HBO guy. Apparently, he was uh, in my backyard playing wiffle ball. I didn't even know. I wish I would have uh, gotten his business card then. But I uh, moved on here. And talking about um, what your guys' roles were in terms of making this documentary, I know over 500-plus hours of never-seen-before footage, um, 100, over 100 interviews, uh, two presidents. Uh, Jake, you sent me over the, the list of people interviewed staggering list of people just take us through jake we'll start with you in terms of what your role was and some of your experiences making this yeah um so my role really i always look at it as there's a director and he has a vision and it's sort of whatever i can do to help get that vision to where it needs to be so some days it's booking interviews and some days it's working in the edit and some days it's logging footage and it's it, it's a range of things and the whole goal is just what does the director need to to get this thing to where it needs to be so I, what happened was we got a list of all these people we wanted to interview and I was just like, I'll start calling people. And all of a sudden I became like the guy that booked the interviews. So I ended up booking pretty much all of them. I didn't, I didn't do um, like Michael's and the Obama's and they're kind of out of my ability to reach them range. Um, but so I would just call people and it was, it, that was the hardest part for sure for me because you had to, people have lives and they all want to do it because it's Michael Jordan. So they want to be part of it, but they're like, yeah, I can do it, but I can do it in a month. And you're like, well, I need him in two weeks. So how can we make this happen? So um, a big thing was doing these interviews, helping Jason get ready for them, then going to the interviews. And that was a fun part too, because it got me out of the edit a little bit to meet all these cool people. Um, and then when I was back in New York, I was really working with an editor and, and following the storyline that Jason wanted to create and just trying to put it together. We had amazing editors, so they worked on their own very well. And all I had to do was kind of support what they needed. Hey, can you find this bite? What do you think of this? You know, do you have this shot? Um, one thing that Matt and I both did though right away was we had 500 hours of that behind the scene footage and we watched all 500 hours because <laughs> you don't know what you're missing. You want to make sure you have all the best stuff. You know, you feel honored that you're, you have the opportunity to use this footage that's been sort of sat on for 20 years. So you're like, let's take advantage of this. So a lot of it was just, cameras shaking and people on buses and things that we couldn't use. There was some good stuff in there that we could use that we put in the dock. So um, that was really daunting, but that was the, the kickoff of the whole project was watch the 500 hours. So that was where we started. Right. You answered one of my questions that I had in terms of what came first, you know, was it watching the footage, getting the interviews and then looking for the footage or finding the footage, then kind of tailoring the questions for wherever you were talking to according to the footage. Yeah, it's the research is the, is the first step and watching the footage is part of that research. So once you put in all that research and you have a sound foundation and you're knowledgeable on the topic, then you can start to build the story. But it's like building a house. So the foundation of the house is all your research. You need to be, you know, an expert in the topic you're doing the doc on. So it's watching footage, finding footage, looking up people, where they live, how they fit into the story. And then you can move forward on what that story is and who needs to tell what stories. And then you can start doing the interviews. So it's really a, re a heavy, heavy research, which is the most important part of any project. You start with the research and then you build on what you've learned from the research. Now watching every week, we'll go back to the interview process, but watching every week, uh, Matt, what has been something that, uh, or something that you have just enjoyed in terms of how everyone is digesting it? When you're sitting back watching it, you've been a part of it so closely, 
how has that process been? As you know, that six million people are tuning in, more even more people are, are watching. But just on a week to week basis, just reveling in what you guys put so much hard work into. The one thing I kind of remember from the first night is, you know, we all got together on Zoom. We all had a drink. We all kind of had a toast and really enjoyed the moment. And then, you know, I know what's going to be on the TV screen. So I kind of just have it on the background, but I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter as it's uh, coming out. <laughs> and I realized that my boxing Twitter, my sports Twitter, my TV production Twitter, my politics Twitter, all of it was talking about that. And that was a really weird thing, a very rare thing. I don't know. I think the closest it's ever come to something like that was maybe Mayweather Pacquiao. And so just to see like everything kind of coalesce around this storyline, see, you know, the top 20 things on Twitter were all last dance related, you know, last dance, Jerry Krause, uh, Michael Jordan, uh, you know, song that had just played. It was just like, whoa, this is, the world is watching. And that was nuts. How about in terms of what, goes viral. I mean, it's obviously some of the bigger things uh, we all kind of knew, you know, Jordan walking away, Jordan gambling, uh, you know, the the dynamic of the team to a certain extent. I think there's a lot of things we learned about the team that we didn't know. But in terms of the things that have gone viral, are you guys surprised by that? Is there something maybe that there's like a pool on what you think will go viral next? Because from the cocaine circus to Jordan's mom uh, altering the, the state of Nike as we knew it, uh, to, to John Michael Wozniak, the, the guy that played quarters with, with, with uh, Michael Jordan. Has there been something that you were surprised went viral or was it like, oh, we kind of saw that coming? I was pretty sure that I knew the John Michael uh, quarter tossing scene was going to go viral. I think the second, in fact, I texted one of our uh, APs the moment it was coming up. I said, all right, get ready to break the internet. I knew Jerry Krause <laughs> dancing on the airplane. Uh, was going to be a moment. I don't think I thought of it in terms of viral. I, th I thought of it as like, people are going to love this. People are going to laugh about this. People are going to enjoy this. Uh, but to kind of see those moments come up and then when they finally hit and you just start to see everything, you know, become that becomes part of the conversation. You're just like, you get a little smile, you get a laugh and enjoy that. Now, Jake, you're in on all three of the interview processes or the interview sessions with Michael Jordan. Um, I'm not going to assume, but what was your favorite interview of all of these and what was the one that left you completely starstruck um i'm starstruck by every one and everything i meet i mean working in at hbo we meet these boxers and i was starstruck by them i'm it's amazing what people can do and i get starstruck very easily so i was starstruck by everybody um michael was michael was the most shocking interview because when you see him walk in it's like seeing a statue of liberty walk towards you, you know because like the thing you don't really think exists because you just see these highlights and then he walks in you're like wow, that's a real person. Um, so you, you can't even, I mean, it's, it's hard to put into words what it's like to see him. And I don't want to sound like a fanboy, but it's just true. It's just shocking. Um, I, I was really, I was really um, struck by Steve Kerr, his interview. He was really nice, really friendly. Um, he's, you understand why he's a good coach because he, he walks in the room and you want to like, you want him to like you, you know, like he's just one of those guys. Um, so I was, star, I was starstruck by everybody, Michael in particular. Um, and Steve Kerr really stuck out to me after his interview as well. So obviously over a hundred people that you guys interviewed, is there someone that did not want to be interviewed? Uh, that didn't make the cut or that we got into the cut somehow. Or someone that just said, you know why? I just don't want to, I don't want to do it. Uh, B Bill Lambeer was particularly hard. I think, <laughs> I think we know why. I'm done. The story has been told. I don't really um, want to want to do this. But um, Carl Malone was somebody that we went after, and he had some hesitancies. I'm, I still am not sure why he didn't do it. Um, Stockton agreed, and we thought by Stockton doing it that Carl Malone would do it as well. Um, the NBA went after him, and I, I think he just was a private guy, so he'd rather keep it that way. But 
for the most part, you know, booking these interviews is usually hard because you have to say, you know, what we're doing and why they'd want to be part of it. But for most of them, you just say, hey, we're doing a Michael Jordan doc and Michael's involved. And everybody's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'd love to do it. That'd be an honor. So um, for the most part, everybody was pretty down. Another thing I noticed, and, and maybe you guys can obviously speak on this, is did you get the sense that a lot of the people that you were interviewing kind of knew the scope of, of this documentary and what it was going to be? So they were willing not only to just like share a lot of information, but I feel like guys wanted to leave their mark by leaving like an epic soundbite. I think I think if you they were a Bulls player, they had known that this was going to be done at some point because the 500 hours, they had let them in behind the scenes. So back in 1997, 1998, I think they kind of knew what was going to be, that this was going to happen at some point. Uh, I think it's, there was maybe some shock that it was happening now, or maybe that everybody had signed off on it from Michael down to Phil all the and everybody in between. Um, but you could tell that a lot more people were candid because it has been, you know, 20 years later, um, you know, Tony Kukoc going into all the details of, you know, the dream team and realizing the, a uh, riff that had come up with Krauss uh, years later. Bill Wennington, I remember being uh, especially candid, um, pretty much didn't hold anything back. I, I really don't think there was anybody who was, um, you know, wanting to not tell the story or felt like it needed to be sugarcoated. It had been, you know, the wounds had healed or, you know, any bad blood maybe had, you know, simmered at some point. But yeah, no, I think everybody wanted to tell the story because it was a real special moment in all their lives. And just to build on that real quick, I think that um, having, when you say Michael's involved and he's going to be in this, he doesn't do a lot. So when people hear that, they think, okay, this is going to be a big deal because of who Michael is and his lack of presence in society as far as being on camera and doing interviews. So when they heard that, they probably in their head thought, okay, this is going to be a big deal because of how rarely he's involved with things like this. So this is my opportunity to uh, tell my story and, and tell what I saw and be a part of something like that. That's a really good point too. Yeah, you're right because you don't hear too much from Mike. So when he speaks, you almost like wow. You listen to almost. You hang on every word. I found myself yeah. uh, doing that uh, again too. Uh, what in terms of like why now? Do you ever get the sense from Mike? Uh, maybe talk to him off off camera or, or hearing through the process of, of making this on why he decided that now was the time he wanted this to come out. Yeah, I think um, it was a, a number of reasons. I think his uh, doc, ten hour documentaries didn't really exist until now and to tell a story of the bulls and with michael you need a lot of time so the 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 concept of a long-form documentary wasn't really a thing until recently so that needed to be in place then i think his team um realized you know now's a good time it's been 20 years there's a whole generation who doesn't really know michael and what he was about um and i think also at the time i know when they when when his team came up with the idea that like golden state had been doing a lot and LeBron had been doing a lot. And I think there's that competitiveness in him still there. And he's like, all right, you know, I, I, I still want to show people what I was about. So I think it was a number of things. I think it was the documentary landscape changing. I think it was time had passed. So people were ready to be honest and the story needed to be told because the generation didn't remember it. And also I think his competitiveness kind of kicked in. I also know he has two young daughters, so this would be cool for them to see. And this doc was going to, a Chicago Bulls documentary about Michael Jordan was going to get made someday. So why not be part of it and have some say in it and make your presence felt in it? And I think his team did a good job of, of hammering that home. And so I don't know if he ever fully wanted to do it, but I hopefully he's happy that he did it now. I, I think, yeah, I think he is too. Do you guys take any, um, what the right word is, but the fact that we're all, how we're digesting this, how we're all watching this, how it's bringing everyone together, um, 
in terms of where we are in the world right now, you know, going through the coronavirus battle, do you guys feel like you did your part in terms of helping people, you know, step away from it for a little while every Sunday night, bringing everyone together? I think, I mean, I think we knew when the dates were getting pulled up, it, there was no reticence to be like, well, you know, I don't know if we can make this happen schedule wise or whatever. We wanted it to come out because we knew, you know, how difficult our lives have become, how difficult all of our lives have become, especially all of us based in New York City here, um, how crazy the city had become. Um, but I do feel like there's that little feeling you get when it does come on Sunday night. You're like, okay, like people are getting a little R&R from the craziness that's going on right now. And I know that that's tough. So I think there is uh, some joy that we do feel in being able to provide it. I know it's not, doesn't feel like we're doing quote unquote all, our part. I think doing our part is still staying home uh, and washing my hands every day. But uh, it does feel nice that we got to do uh, something that came out at the right time. Now, is there a moment, I'm jumping all over the place, but is there a moment during the, the uh, well, talking the last episode, and I'll ask this to you, Jake, it was kind of the only part of Michael Jordan's career that had any type of controversy, and that was the gambling. While you guys were speaking on that, and that came up during the, the interview process, did you feel a little um, tension in the room? What was that like when he touched on the part of his career that is considered to be the only, you know, dark part? Yeah, um, it's uncomfortable. Anytime you ask somebody a question that you know is hard and they've been through a lot with, it's it's uncomfortable. But I think that he was savvy enough to realize that if people are going to understand this is a real doc, he had to get into that kind of stuff. So he knew we were going to go there eventually. I think there's no, there was no conversation with him beforehand, but I think he was smart enough to realize, all right, if, they're, if we're going to be credible here and people are going to know this is a real doc about me and I'm being serious, I have to talk about the controversial things. And so you're never ready to talk to somebody about that. It's uncomfortable. Um, he handled it well. Jason handled it well. There was no tension in the room at all. It was very normal and comfortable, but it's an uncomfortable topic and it's personal. And he's and it's and it's caused so much craziness in his life that it's probably hard to talk about, especially on camera, knowing millions of people are going to see it. Um, so when you're you know you have the questions and I'm following along as Jason's going and you're a couple questions away from that and you're like please you're like oh here it comes like good God I hope this is okay um, and it ended up being okay and he was great about it but yeah it's nerve wracking and it's uncomfortable. Okay, I'll, I'll ask the question everyone wants to know. It's the changing of oh, President Obama's lower third. Who was who was what's the story behind that? Is there any story behind it? Because that was something that also came up in uh, you know the following day, or you check Twitter, which I do as I watch the the documentary. But that was also a source of conversation as well. So when we were first doing this and getting ready for it, you know, you're planning for it to be around the NBA finals. So we're coming up with lower thirds, and one of the things that we had said is we don't want to just have you know a famous person in it to just have a famous person. So you know, we're feeling was we want to make sure everyone knows that, you know, hey, Obama was a resident of Chicago at this time. Uh, you know, that was what his background was in the early 80s. That was what he did. Um, so we had fonted him in that when it came out for episode one. And we'd already planned that like for episodes five, episode seven, episode nine, wherever else he was going to show up, that it was going to be President Barack Obama, uh, because that's where he was in his life later on. But uh, it was funny to see that hit. And I think that was one of the other things that was trending. And I remember Cody Keenan, who I follow, who is an Obama speechwriter, um, tweeted out about it. He goes, I only remember two times that the big television got wheeled into my uh, classroom. He goes, it was when the Challenger exploded and uh, when Michael Jordan announced his retirement. And he goes, uh, hashtag former Chicago resident. So I think they all kind of took it in jest and laughed at it. 
but yeah, no, there was no conspiracy behind that at all. I had no idea it was going to get that kind of like, I didn't even think about it when we were doing it. I was like, oh yeah, that's what he was at the time. It makes sense to me. And to see it like explode like that in my head, I was like, oh God, I, I hope Obama, if he's even watching, I hope he's not mad about this because like I love him. And so I, like, <laughs> I hope this isn't a bad thing. Um, well, I have no idea going to take off like that. Well, it's, it's also, it, it's because there isn't anything else being talked about. I mean, like Sunday night, like, like uh, Matt t- uh, touched on earlier, Sunday night, you go to the trending part of Twitter, it's every single aspect of the last dance. So things that would usually kind of slip through the cracks or maybe would be discussed for maybe like a less a few hours now is being is being just looked at under a microscope must be a good feeling and but it also must feel like oh man like you're right, you're right one misstep or one little thing like this and you don't want to upset uh the former leader of the free world it's terrifying i i <laughs> did my way through sunday nights because like it's stressful as hell you've seen it a million times but it's like it's it's very very nerve-wracking you're definitely about- white knuckling it <laughs> this I feel like this time with this documentary is I don't think anyone's ever digested or, or, or watched a documentary like this where every single week we're waiting for it to come on and obviously it's because of the circumstances uh, that we all know what has it been like for you guys getting immediate feedback because that's also something that you don't usually get we all want our work to be recognized and we all love positive feedback or any type of uh, constructive criticism what has it been like you know, Sunday night or, or Monday morning, reading all, all the stories or, or, or checking on Twitter. What has it been like uh, being the guys behind this uh, documentary in, in terms of how everyone's talking about it on a week-to-week basis? I mean, it's been wild to see how it comes back instantaneously, that it is this, like, kind of instant feedback. Um, I don't think we're ever, you know, most of the things are kind of just like, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this is going on. So you're kind of prepared for most of it. Like, I don't know. They didn't know that we were going to get into gambling. People didn't know, uh, you know, Paul Westfall was going to lose his mind in a huddle in Phoenix. Um, I think that's the part of it that we're mostly uh, used to. I don't, I think the one thing that was still surprising to me is just like the scope of it, that there are, you know, it's the equivalent of watching uh, the college football championship every Sunday night. Like that's the one thing uh, that's kind of been surprising to me is the staring power that it's had from weekend week out. Um, I don't think that I was ever prepared for it to get that kind of exposure. I don't think, yeah, I don't think the the scope you'll ever really understand, be able to to process the scope of that. I think um, it's, it's big enough where it's just hard to take in. But what's fun is when you have a moment that you're proud of that, that like you liked, and then you see people reacting positively to that moment. And you're like, oh, I, I love that moment too. I'm glad that that landed the way it did because, you know, I wanted that to happen. Um, and so that's, that's satisfying to see people react to things you were hoping they would react to. But as far as the scope goes, it's just, it's big to the point where you can't really process it in real time. Do you have any of those moments that you just, that you just talked about where you didn't know if it was going to land that you, and you see that it landed? Yeah, I think John Michael um, is an example. I, I, he passed away, unfortunately. Um, we interviewed him. He's a really nice guy. And I was like, God, he, he comes off well in the scene. He's funny and he's got that crazy hair. And like, I just hope people like him. He's like, he's very likable in this. And then when you see that, that scene play out and then you see like, you know, people making t-shirts and joking about how his, his shrug is the best shrug and like the only guy <laughs> Michael's head in his career and all that. Like I would, that was so satisfying because he's such a good guy and he deserved that moment because he and he made that scene what it was so things like that I think that was that was cool to see him get that shot how about the music go go ahead Matt oh I was gonna say the only thing I can think of that was close to that for me was the crowds dancing on the plane there was a long story (laughs) of trying to find that shot 
Uh, we saw it in the end of a year ender and the NBA dug through every piece of archival, just like kept on churning for it. And it went in week in, week out. And we'd already edited that part of the episode. And to Jake and Chad's credit, Chad, Chad our editor who had done that, they tweaked the end of it so that we could get those types of moments in there. And to see like how that thing connected, I was like, oh, it was kind of worth it. Is there any footage that was like tough, really, really hard to, 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 to find or, or to, to get through? Hmm. I, I'm trying to think like we were able to find most everything we needed. I mean, the NBA has a great archive uh, and they're really uh, open and available to it. Um, the only other thing I can kind of think of was, you know, just processing all the different footage, like there, how many interviews there are with Michael, how many, you know, behind the scenes shoots they did with him inside the NBA, trying to like wade through all of it and make sure that you're having the best stuff. I think that was much harder than it was finding like a single piece of it. You could argue that of the 90s, he's the most filmed person that existed. Uh, so there's probably not something that you can't find, but it's trying to make sure that you have the best things that are out there. We had an amazing ar archival producer named Nina Kerstick, and she's she did the OJ archival too. She's an amazing producer, and so she finds all that stuff. I think the only time I, I saw her like even have any difficulty whatsoever was trying to find some Scotty Pippen UCA footage. Right. Um, it was like deep in the archives in Arkansas that she had to like dig to find, but otherwise she was just incredible. She found everything. There was one particular sequence, and I rewatched um, Sunday's episode uh, last night that I just love, absolutely love. It's 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 kind of getting to the point where Michael was starting to get a little um, tired of the limelight, and it, it kind of took you through what he goes through on a on a daily basis or on on, a, on the night of, of a game whether it's, it's getting to getting mobbed on his way into the arena you know ducking through a back door uh, ha having every single person in the arena watch him having to perform on a high level as an nba basketball player and then going through the, the media session maybe having 10 minutes if you set the cool down going right going media doing it all over again that taking it through just to me showed that you guys had so much footage where you can mimic that whole timeline that I just explained. Well, part of the challenge with the 500 hours is you have all this great footage. So how can you use it where it makes sense? And so it's hard to make scenes out of it because when they were shooting at the time, they didn't know this was going to be what it is. So, so full scenes are, are rare in the 500 hours. But what you can do is like find a theme and then attack that theme with the great footage that we have. So like the theme is, okay, Michael's life is under the spotlight at all times. That's what we're going with. So how do you, how do you make that as real and as beautiful as it can look? And that's using the 500 hours and finding moments in that footage where he's swamped and he's coming out of elevators and all that. So um, it was it was finding like the theme we wanted to hit and then finding the footage to match that idea. But I think it's, that was an important scene because you think of Michael and and people, you know, people understand that it's tough to be a celebrity. I think everyone's like, oh, that'd be tough to, to be hounded like that. But you can't really understand what that's like unless you're in it. And I think you get a, a decent sense of imagine doing that every single day. I mean, if I did that one day, I would be wiped out for a week, let alone doing it every day for your whole life. So I, just, I think that was like a, that was a, a good scene to, to feel that and see that. Can you, can you t uh, touch on in terms of how this was put together with the timeline, you know, going from one year back to a different section, uh, what was the thought process behind uh, putting it together that way? Well, I think, well, yeah, sure. I can take that. Um, so I think when we first started out with it, we kind of were working on themes and what are the themes of each episode we're going to be. And then as we got a little farther along in the editing process, um, we realized that it was actually two concurrent timelines. There was 1998, which was forming our A storyline um, that followed the whole season that the NBA followed, you know, through the 500 hours. 
And then it was Michael's arrival in Chicago through the whole Bulls dynasty. And eventually those two were going to converge in, you know, episode 10. And it was, it took a little bit of a process to figure out that that was the best way to do it, that that was the most linear way to do it rather than, you know, uh, one episode going from 1984, another episode going to 1995, another episode going back to 70s or something like that. So once we kind of figured out that like, hey, telling in linearly through two storylines is going to be the best way to attack it, it kind of, that was a big puzzle that we had to crack. And it took a little while for us to get there. I think our first cut of episode one didn't quite have it. Uh, but I think by, you know, later on in the episodes, once we got through three and four, we realized that there were these concurrent storylines. It's hard yeah. though. I mean- I, you know, you read the Twitter stuff that's positive, and some of the negative stuff I've seen is that the timeline is difficult to follow. And I think that it still, it still was a challenge it's, to the very end. That was always the thing we were battling: was where are we in the story, and is it clear? And you know, you're in it so much that it gets clear to you because you know it, you've seen it so much. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. That's clear. People will get that. And sometimes they don't, and that's okay. That's that's our our job is to make it as clear as possible. And sometimes you can't do it as as well as you want to. But the timeline is by far the hardest part. And I think that that still is challenging if you don't fully know the story. Right. The only people that I've heard of say anything about it is are kid or people that are kids that are, you know, the generation even beyond us that have weren't around to know exactly what was going on before. Uh, we let you guys go and get back to uh, putting together one of the best documentaries I think we've all have seen. The next four episodes, I read something um, earlier before I did this that seven and eight are really going to blow your mind in terms of uh, Michael's willingness to, to touch on things and, and talk about some uh, the other things. I think it's going to, I mean, it's going to touch on him. Um, you know what it's like to be his his teammate. What it's like to play against him. What can fans expect to to round out uh, this documentary as we get to the end of, of ten episodes? I think you see a, a very real side of him that you haven't seen. Um, he's completely honest and stories that you've heard. You're seeing footage for like him interacting with teammates and being hard on them and um, dealing with his father and dealing with conspiracy theories and, and things that if you had some time with him, you'd probably want to ask him. Um, a lot of that's answered. And you also see him still kind of, you know, make fun of some of the other players he went up against like Gary Payton and things like that, which are fun moments. Um, so you'll see some competitiveness. You'll see a lot of it, of reality from him. Um, and hopefully you all enjoy the rest of it. Now with, uh, go ahead, Matt. Uh, sorry. I think the other thing too is that you'll realize how uh, emotional winning is to him. Like there, that's a sharp side of him that I didn't expect to know going in. That how much competing, how much being a winner, how much helping out his teammates really meant to him. Uh, Paul Pabst, you know the uh, he's the producer over the Dan Patrick Show. He tweeted something out that he hopes that after this he can get the entire all you guys, all the guys or and ladies that put together this this documentary can have some type of show where you guys all come together, kind of like we're doing right now, where you can all talk. Because I think that the people at home that have watched this, people that usually don't appreciate production or, or just watch a documentary and they don't really think about how it was actually made, under the circumstances of how you guys made it, I really hope that does come true. I really hope that there is a way that you guys can all come together and talk about it. Because once we get to the 10th episode and it's over, I think we're going to want more. And clearly there's so much footage and so much stuff that probably didn't make it and this, the process, I think, is fascinating. So hopefully you guys can all come together and tell your story. You can get, you know, you know the, the, the credit that you guys all deserve. Thank you, man. That means a lot to us. You can I do just it. Hope that we can all be together, Sin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if we all do it. I mean, it might have to be like a Zoom thing where you have a bunch of windows and it has every single person uh, that was involved with this. I'm scared of these things. I like doing it with you because we're friends, but 
I'd be scared of that. I'm shy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're great behind the scenes. So you're a great storyteller. I appreciate the time. Uh, hopefully we can meet up again under better circumstances and we can uh, go out and play some wiffle ball on Long Island. Thanks a lot, uh, Matt, Max, and Jake Rogal for, for, for giving us uh, a deeper look at The Last Dance. And uh, this is our the end of our show. We're going to come back next week. Hopefully we have more boxing to talk about. We need boxing back desperately. So I stopped breaking down Kardashian fights and Rocky Balboa fights. But we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for watching a special edition of Inside Boxing Live.